I'm sure it's a lot like this in your line of work as it is in mine, but, but we find ourselves uh, as pastors having to quickly adapt from one situation to another. We might be doing a funeral in the morning and then attending a celebratory anniversary just a few moments later. We might be conducting a prayer service on Sunday night and a staff meeting on Monday morning, which happens every week. Or preaching to a congregation of adults at Bethesda one day and then speaking to students in chapel the next, maybe immediately followed by a counseling session with a couple or rushing off to make a, a hospital call. So it's just quickly one thing to the, to the other, constantly having to adapt. And, and, but no matter the shift in responsibility or, or shift in the demographic or atmosphere of the culture or the group that we're talking to. It may be Americans at one moment in this service, or it could be Hispanics, or it could be the, the uh, French-speaking uh, Africans or the Swahili-speaking Africans, or, or we might be talking to a well-dressed businessman and then or a homeless man uh, that comes off the street. One thing remains true about all of those people, all of those situations. The heart is still the same. And here's what my discovery has been over the years, that everyone wants to be communicated to, forgive the grammar, uh, communicated to with the language of their heart. And whether we all know it or not, we are, we are all saying that in one way or another, that I want you to communicate to me in the language of my heart. I think I've shared this story with you before, but it's, it's just, it so points it out to me, and it's where actually I first discovered that phrase the language of the heart, which is the title of what I'm sharing with you today for just a few minutes. Shaler, my son, and I were ministering in uh, Tanzania about this time in 2013, and we were called there to preach a pastor's conference and uh, taken out to a bush area and uh, preached nonstop there for like four days, and then uh, was taken back on Saturday to the capital city of Arusha, and there is the uh, premier church in Arusha, Tanzania, uh, is called Calvary Temple. It's a very, very fine church, and they have three services on Sunday morning. The first one is at 6 o'clock. I'm not sure the Lord is up yet at 6 o'clock. No, He never sleeps and He never slumbers. And that's in Swahili, and then the next service is in English, the middle service is in English, and then the last service is in Swahili again. And unbeknownst to me, I found out on Saturday, you're speaking, Dan, you're speaking in the English service in, Capital, in Calvary Temple uh, on the next morning. Well, hallelujah, that's what you do in missions work. You show up and you do whatever's there. So uh, I skipped the first service at 6. I didn't make that one. But I showed up for the English-speaking service, and it's primarily younger Africans who are, who are bilingual, obviously, and um, you know, business, young business people who are in that service. And I walked in and was seated over toward the side where the guest speakers are supposed to sit, and I was accompanied by um, an Amer my, my American missionary host who was sort of guiding me through what I was doing. And... Um, uh, so we were sitting there, and they started the worship, and oh, it was wonderful, and I enjoyed it, and they were singing in English. I didn't necessarily recognize the songs. It's not the songs we necessarily sing here, but there was dancing and singing, and it was very joyous, and it was extremely good. And then all of a sudden, about two songs in, the American missionary uh, leaned over to me. How he knew this was coming, I don't know. I, I guess he'd been there before. He knew their, their format or something, but he leaned over to me, and he says, watch this. And I said, watch what? He said, it's going to change here in just a second. 
And all of a sudden, they got to tune number three. And even though it was an English-speaking service, this song was in Swahili. And they cranked that up, and I'm telling you, I, I literally looked to see if I could find the video. I couldn't find it quickly and easily yesterday. I wanted you to see it. It literally went through the roof. It was so palpable how much greater the dynamic was. The, the, the room just exploded because they sang this song with a sense of abandon, and they just, I mean, they belted it out. The decibel level went way higher than it was before. The whole dynamic was incredibly greater. And I I said, so what happened? And he looked at me and he says, Dan, it's the language of the heart. Now, I may be making more of that than what it actually is, but it, it just, I stood there and I almost got lost for the next few minutes thinking of the significance of how we communicate from and how we want to be communicated to in the language of the heart and how significant that is. I mentioned to you a while ago that our dear sister Virginia Skipwith uh, was buried yesterday. Virginia was not only a very bright lady, valedictorian of her high school class, but she was also very organized and detailed. And she prepared a seven-page, really small font, seven-page document of testimonies that she wanted to be read at her memorial service. Well, I could not possibly read them all. We would still be there today if I had read them all. But I read several of them, and I read through the entire document to prepare and make my selections of which ones I would read in, in her service. And when I, when I read the whole document to make my selections, I couldn't help but notice something that really stood out to me. You see, this document was, was simply a testimonial document that she called Answers to Prayer, that she wanted Everyone to be sure and know as she was leaving and her parting words from this life and answers to prayer that God had given her and through all kinds of situations. Essentially what she was saying in this document, Dan, hold it together here, was this. The same thing the psalmist says, that surely goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life and now I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, I, I can't tell you how it warmed my heart as I had the privilege of preparing for that memorial service. She gave story after story of challenging circumstances and how she and whomever she was with at the time would go to God in prayer. They would encounter this situation and, and we would immediately we would stop and pray. And in in many, if not most or all of the stories, there was a statement like this, and this is what caught my attention. When she would say, this happened, we were in this circumstance, we were in this situation, and my sister and I or whomever, we stopped and we prayed, and the, the statement went like this, we knew we had really gotten a hold of God. Now that's an old Pentecostal phrase. That, how many know what I'm talking about? Do I, do I need to explain it to you? She read that. Because I'm an old Pentecostal, I know exactly what she meant. What she was saying was, we had passed the riven veil where the glories never fail as we used to sing in an old song. We had known that we had gone into the holy of holies. We had touched the heart of God. That's exactly what she was saying. And what she also was saying, and what I heard through all of it was, we had communicated in the language of the heart. At which point... She could say, and God heard and answered our prayer. What was she really saying? She was saying, we knew what it was to pray with passion. 
the language of our heart. Pray with passion. I've discovered something interesting that comes from Greek philosophers, not particularly Christian, but Greek philosophers that, that is interesting. They say this, if you want to be effective, an effective communicator, whether it's publicly or privately with others or whatever it is, if you want to be effective in communication, there's three things you need to know. The first thing that you need, there are three things that you need to be effective in communication. The first thing that any communicator has to have is logos, logos. Now, many of us here t today know exactly what that word means. That word means word. In the beginning was the word, was the logos. The Greek philosophers will tell you that to be an effective communicator, you have to say something that has content to it. There has to be some degree of substance to what you're saying. You can't just stand up and give senseless, disconnected statements without substance. To be effective, you have to have content for people to really grasp what you're saying. Logos, you need to have something to say. They give us a second thing, and they said what you need not only is logos, but you need ethnos is what they say. It is a Greek word that mirrors what we would say when we use the word ethnic or ethnicity, and this word gets elasticized a bit. To the Greek, it basically meant this. Not only do you need to say something, do you need to have logos, but the, the content has to have also ethnicity to it, and you also better be ready to live out what you say. It's one thing to stand here and just say words, even if they had content and substance. It's quite another thing to live out what you say. If you don't live what you say, then there becomes a great divide between your words and your behavior, and then you have a problem. And the Greeks were saying that a great communicator needs not only good content, but had better believe that content and, and live it out. It's like what Paul was saying to the Romans in chapter 2 when he says, you teach people not to steal, but do you steal? That's what he says in Romans 2. He says, you teach people not to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? Paul was getting to that ethnos or the ethics also that says there better be lifestyle that backs up your words and, and what you're saying. Well, not only logos, not only ethnos, but it's the third level that I want us to see just for a second. Yes, I got that clock right in front of me. I, I know what time it is. I'm going to be honorable here today. But don't forget I've banked about an hour. I've got about an hour in the bank that I can use up. No, not really. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. And let's see this final method of communicating. Those of you who know the story know that Mary and Martha have just found out that their brother Lazarus has died. And they thought they had sent word in time to Jesus to, to get there. But now Lazarus is dead and he's been in the tomb for four days. And it's this third level of communication that is within our story here that we're going to discover what it is and we're going to see how it changes everything. Now, you, you know the story. In this story, Jesus finally shows up. Lazarus is in the tomb. Jesus is first met by Martha, the sister, and then by Mary. Look at your Bible and let me read a couple of passages of Scripture before we close today. We're in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, and the Bible says, starting in verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb, speaking of Lazarus, for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. 
Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, now now watch this, look at this. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now I want you to look at the response of Jesus in verse 23. In 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, here's the issue. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus responds with basically good theology. He responds with or what we would call eschatology regarding the future. Basically saying that when everyone else rises up, your brother will rise on that day. Your brother will and he shall rise. But, but here's Martha's problem. Her brother is still dead. And she's thinking, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm assuming she's thinking, I don't need good theology. I need my brother alive. I don't need a sermon. I've got a brother that's been in that tomb for four days. And we thought we prayed early enough to get you here when he was sick. And now here's what we've got. So Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She gets a good sermon. But then let's look at what happens in verse 30. Follow with me. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to go to the tomb to weep there. Verse 32. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet. And Mary said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Look back at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Look back at verse 32 where Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, My brother would not have died. Do you notice any similarities there? They are saying the exact same thing. Martha says it, and she hears these words. Your brother will rise again with the implication on the last day. She gets great theology. But then let's look what happens when what the Greeks refer to as the highest level of communication takes place. Mary has now said the exact same words, and look what happens in verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her, speaking of Mary, weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, where is he? Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then here's the verse that every one of us have memorized and if, you ha- and if you haven't, you're going to do it right now. Verse 35, which says, so what happened here? Martha says the exact same words as Mary. She gets a sermon and theology about the end times. Mary says the exact same words, and now she's got the heart of Jesus. Jesus is saying, where have they laid him? The Bible says, and we've just read it, Jesus starts weeping. When Mary approaches him, he is deeply moved. 
And he wants to know where the body is that has been dead for four days. There has to be, church, something here that explains the difference in the reaction when two women use the exact same words to Jesus and yet his response is totally different one to the other. What is it? Two women say the same thing. One gets a sermon and the other is about to get a resurrection. What's the difference? What's going on? Something takes place where it almost appears that the Lord Jesus can't even stop himself. Jesus starts to break down just by hearing the exact same words he'd heard from Martha. And it makes you wonder, how could the hallelujah from the balcony be any different than the hallelujah from the main floor? How could the I need you, Jesus, be any different from second row as it is from the 14th row in the back? How could it be any different? Some people seem to know how to get a hold of God, as Virginia Skipwith gave testimony to. And it dawned on me, if the first level is logos, to have something of substance, something of content, and the second level is ethnos, where you must be willing to live up to your words. And Mary and Martha knew that Jesus was the only one who could really do it. But this top level that the Greeks give us is this, not just logos, not just ethnos, but this top level is pathos, or what we know as passion. Look at this. It's Mary, full of passion, who leaves the crowd look what she does. She runs to Jesus. She kneels before him. She says, oh, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And somehow, some way, she found her way to communicate the language of the heart. Her heart touching the heart of God. And obviously it made the difference. Because when she spoke the language of the heart, she touched the very heart of Jesus to the point that he could not help but respond. The passion inside here communicated, we are desperate. We must have a but God moment, as the choir sang today. We need so desperately for something to happen. And all of a sudden, the heart of Jesus is caught and begins to move toward the tomb, toward the place where the body is. It was the passion of Mary that caught the very heart of God, though she had used the exact same words as her sister. There's nothing worse than coming to church and just standing there in the pew and singing mindlessly and thoughtlessly. He is stronger. He is stronger. Sin is broken. He has saved me. You can mindlessly do that. Any of us can. Not an ounce of heart behind it. But that's why we call it corporate worship. And that's why it's so critical when we come to this place. We come prepared to worship. We know when we have entered this place together, we have come as the body of Christ and one with another, building each other in faith. We are going to worship the Lord Jesus together and we're going to do it with our heart and all that is within us. Come on, Brent. I need to wrap this up. I'm going to do something dangerous. I'm going to tell a story. <clears throat> friend of mine, pastor friend of mine, 
tells a story. They have three or four children, he and his wife do, and they had a guest over for a meal one night. It was a young single man who had never been married, did not have children, but for whatever reason, this pastor and his wife were going to counsel this young single man after they had dinner with also the pastor's children. The meal is completed. The uh, children are sent upstairs to play. pastor and his wife are sitting in the living room with uh, this young man. And all of a sudden, a few minutes in the conversation, they hear this horrible cry coming from upstairs. And the young man in the room jumps up, startled, like, oh, my goodness. And the parents said, no, 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 sit down. That's nothing. That's a, my brother just hit me cry. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be fine. We, we know that well. How many parents know what I'm talking about? <laughs> they go on with their conversation. The young man goes, okay. A few minutes later, now a bigger, louder scream came from upstairs. Oh, the young man jumped up out of his chair, started to go do something. I said, no, 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 sit, sit down. That's a, I just saw a bug cry. Somebody will smash it, and it's, it's going to be okay. They're going to be fine. They go several more minutes in the conversation. And all of a sudden, here came this third blood-curdling cry. And the young man stayed in his seat because of the other two times. And mom and dad jumped up and ran upstairs. They said, this cry says somebody's hurt. In church... If we who are evil, if we who are natural parents know how to hear the distinctive cry of our children, how much more does our heavenly Father in heaven have his ear inclined to hear the distinction of your cry? Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Virginia's service yesterday, seven-page document. I read the whole thing. I cried when I read it. I was so moved. Talk about a life faith. Any of you who would know Virginia would know that it was about 10 years ago she discovered she had thyroid cancer. It had to be removed. She was cut from ear to ear. They looked at other methods and possibilities The first doctor was not able to do it. She was taken to another place in Dallas. After a five-hour surgery, she awoke to find out they had removed her voice box. She would no longer be able to speak, this was 10 years ago, to speak ever again or to smell. And that's what she would be living with from that point forward. And so, as I told the people at the service yesterday, as her pastor, she and Skip are faithful to this church. Just buried her yesterday. Her husband's here right now. They were faithful to the prayer service. I rarely, on rare occasion, were they not here. And I tell you what, she may have had her voice box removed, but I knew what it was as her pastor to look out and see those hands lifted before God and those lips quivering and moving in silent praise before the Lord Jesus. The enemy may have thought he robbed her of her voice, but he did not rob her of her spirit. Nothing could stop her from praising the Lord. But the thing that caught me the most 
knowing her voice box had been removed 10 years ago. She wanted to talk to me. She had a little, any of us, she would talk, right? I had a little pad. She sent me regularly lavish letters of appreciation and encouragement. I'm going to miss them. Oh, she sent wonderful letters. They always came at just the right time. She didn't stop in her communication. But at the end of all of these stories, story after story, seven pages, of how the Lord had been faithful to her and how God had seen her through every situation, she had a scripture verse that she closed it with. Reading, I thought, okay, there's going to be a lovely something from the Psalms. I looked at it and I sobbed. Because you know what the, the verse was? It's what the psalmist says in Psalm 116, where he says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplication. You know why that had impact upon me? Because the Spirit of God that dwells within us can never die. And her voice box may have been removed. But she understood the language of the heart and knew how to get a hold of God, as we say, and knew what it was to communicate with God at that level of pathos, to know what it was to get God's heart for Him to hear and answer prayer. Can somebody say, bless the Lord?